0: Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. Today we got a QA. and a Before we get into that... Took a week off. We did take a week off. And, uh, oh yeah, we should probably remind them of that or let them know that. let not remind them because obviously they know. Um, uh, I was planning on telling... The audience that we were going to before we did, but then we just did. But um, this is actually, it's a good little insight for you guys. Every point of your life, every part of your life, every pillar of your life, you need to deload every once in a while. So we were uh, doing some different things and it was like, yo, we can't juggle too much and still be efficient. So every once in a while, I feel like we do this like once a year, maybe where we're like, we need to just not record a single fucking thing this week, you know, Uh, maybe twice a year, but it was just a way for us to dial in some things. And really, honestly, it's just all client systems. We just have been going hard at making our systems and our processes for coaching and for our clients way more effective and efficient. And so um, we had to take some time off of recording in order to be able to actually not only map that out, but actually like make it happen on the tech side of things. Yeah, okay. So, taking a little time to just improve our services, and now we're back at it. Uh, I also want to mention a few things before we jump into the podcast. The first one is: is if you guys like this podcast, if you enjoy it, if I help you in any way, shape, or form, please do us a huge favor: go leave us a rating and review, an honest rating and review on Spotify and iTunes. Spotify is the easiest one; you just click the star and submit, and you're done. There's no, and it's immediate. There's no uh, submitting. There's no typing. You can just click the star that you feel is appropriate. Um, And then on iTunes, same thing. But if you feel like leaving us a review, we would appreciate it. So please go leave us one of those. Uh, I also want to mention the mastermind because we still do have some spots available. So if you're a coach that is looking to up your game as a coach, as a trainer, as a nutritionist, as somebody who can connect with their clients, who can scale their business, who can help people on a deeper level and also help more people to grow your business or and or. You want to fly out to the Tailored Coaching Method headquarters, hang out with myself and my good friend Brad Jensen, connect with the other coaches at the event. This is a good one to go to. This is the Anti-Mastermind Mastermind, Mastermind, where we're going to give you as much value as possible, teach you as much as possible, give you all of our secrets, everything we know, and we're not going to sell you a damn thing when you get here or before you leave, like most masterminds do. We just want to keep it real, raw, and value-based. So um, that link is in the description of this podcast. And uh, yeah, without any further ado or continued
1: ranting, let's get into it. Here we go. All right. We have got question number one coming from Lexi. It says, I need help or some tips from getting back on track after a week-long binge from massive life changes following a week's vacation. I definitely gained gained weight, detailed, or I think it probably derailed progress, Mm. and I'm beating myself up big time and having a hard time getting back on track and not feeling like crap about the steps I took backwards. So what, I mean. I think she's
0: asking for helps or tips. Okay. Um, Sometimes I feel like we get a bunch of contacts and then it's just, that's it. Like, oh, okay, well. the Comment box. Yeah. (laughs) Let us know how you're feeling. Um, First and foremost, you're not alone. You're not the only one to do this. Uh, It's very common. We all go through this. I, I had a conversation with a client today. Um, as we're recording this, uh, this is a day of the week where I'm doing some of my weekly check-ins and I literally had this conversation with one of my clients today. I had it with one or two last week. Every week I have it with somebody. I'm, I'm sure. Um, to a certain degree, you know, maybe not to the degree that you're saying, but everybody at some point in their journey is going to feel guilty, feel ashamed, feel like they threw in the towel that they fucked up their progress, whatever it may be. Um, and so you're not alone. This is very common. And one of the most important things to remember is that like, I actually did the math, uh, on this cause I was explaining it to somebody, if you, if you like, let's say you just went all out, you over a binged, like went way over cheat meal, all that kind of stuff. One day, a week, every week. And maybe you don't want to do that because, you know, I believe in having like, I think some people should have like an intuitive day or a free meal or like a flexible day where they a lot more calories. And then for some people, you can just, like myself, I've done this long enough where I don't have to track on that day. Some people, they need those boundaries. But point being, I think everybody should have a day of the week where they kind of like let loose a little bit, you know. Um Or if they're able to fit enough flexibility throughout the week, maybe they don't need one designated day. It's just sprinkled throughout the week within their calories. But point being is like we got to allow that stuff. But let's say you just went balls to the wall every Saturday. Like that was just the day and you just went hard on overeating and binging and stuff like that. If you did that every single week, one day a week, for an entire year, it's 15% of the year. Which means 85% of the year you are dialed in. Totally. on point and there's no way that that ratio as long as you're dialed yeah yeah but even then let's say like let's say you're you're like just like 80% on point it's still 85% of the year compared to 15% totally. you know what i mean so like my point being is is for you listening like even if you go super hard at it and you fuck it up once a week every week that's still only 15% of the year which means 85% of the time you are so spot on or spot on enough that that's going to outweigh The the one day binges that you have throughout the year, and those things are not going to cause regression, right? At worst, they're going to cause you to push pause. You know, I tell people this all the time, like, hey, like you had a you had a bad week. It is what it is. Don't look at this like I set myself back. Look at this like I just pushed pause on my fat loss goals. Is it ideal to push pause? No, because we want to continually move forward. But is it realistic to think that we're never going to have to hit the break? No. So. Based on this, you accidentally hit the break. You maybe could have prevented it with implementing diet breaks or something beforehand, but it is what it is. It's not going to fuck up your progress long-term. Um, and it's important to remember that. Like, I think that's that's a really, really big key of this. Um, it's a small portion of the year. And even if you're, uh, like, it sounded like she was multiple days, so maybe it's not one day of the week, but even then, if you were spot on with your diet and you were grinding and stuff for three months and then you had one week that was just shitty, that's one week compared to 12. Yeah. Like just do the math, you know, you'll be fine. Um, my advice is, I mean, number one, give yourself grace. Like it's just not worth it. Number two, you know, I think the the way you counterbalance this is dependent on the uh, emotional stability or uh, really like the emotional stability, but mainly tied towards like body image and or the relationship with food of the individual. Because if we just think of, and this is where I think sometimes people, are so they're keyboard warriors where it's like science, macros, presentation. They don't actually work with people and talk with clients and stuff. Um, and I've had many conversations with people coming on board to our company and they're like surprised that they're talking to me or one of the coaches on the phone. Cause they're like, Oh, I've, I've gone through coaching, but I've never actually heard their voice. And I'm just like, that's wild to me. Yeah. Like that's insane. You didn't talk to them ever. You never met them. Like even audio through a phone <laughs> video call, maybe something. Yeah. But point being um is like there's keyboard warriors that will kind of just talk about um and I've, I've used this analogy rob and peter to pay paul many times but like technically if we're just looking at math you can't do that right so if i and i did this to a little bit of a degree for example went to vegas drank a little bit too much came home saturday decided to stop wine that night so it was like two days back to back of overeating a little bit drinking a little bit sunday i pulled back a little bit monday i pulled back a little bit tuesday i'm back to normal I'm able to drop my fat macros because those are the least important to me because I'm training hard and trying to perform in order to pull my calories back a few hundred each day to try to make up for some of that. I went well over the amount of calories, but I just did a little bit of that to try to just counterbalance and get my weight to like fluctuate back down. Um, But that doesn't like mess with my psyche or my emotional stability with dieting. For some people, it does. It causes this like binge and restrict mentality. So you have to be consciously aware of your own psychology here and just know like are you the type of person that that's going to cause a binge and restrict cycle if so just don't do it it's not worth it you're it'll take you a week or two for your weight to fluctuate back down and it is what it is right for somebody who can do that like i do that without any issues it might take a few days right great either way we're fine you know what i mean it's the weight's going to fall back off yeah it's better to do it healthy mentally and physically 100 percent um there was a point where I couldn't do that because I knew that it would cause that. Um, and there's also some times too where I'll, I'll go over, like on a regular basis, I go over on Saturdays every week. I don't track it, but I guarantee I do. I don't pull back or restrict calories on Sunday typically because one, I don't have a timeline for my diet right now. And two, like I just feel better when I have enough calories. I know like Sunday's going to be just kind of, I'm just going to be hungry and I don't want that. And then I go into Monday, more hungry, less productive, less likely to be recovered to train hard. I don't want that, right? But if I have a timeline like my photo shoot diet, then I probably would because the most important thing is to consistently be in a weekly deficit. So, um, it all depends on the the person and the situation. Um, you can pull back if you need to. Otherwise, just get right back on track, give yourself grace, understand that it's a small portion of the greater portion of your diet and journey in general, you get back to the get back to moves. Yeah. Right? Plain and simple. And if you don't have accountability, get some accountability. Like whether it's coaching or it's a friend or anything like that. I mean, um it just it makes the world of a difference I even have like I don't see him super often he'll come to the warehouse every once in a while Cody but like when we set 90 outcomes I'll just like share the note with him and he shares his note with me I don't check in on him every week to be like did you hit your goals and like he doesn't do that to me but just the act of me sending a goal and being like I'm gonna hit these targets in these areas of my life and now he knows I'm going to there's just something about that that kind of gives you a little bit of accountability in the back of your mind of like In ninety days, he's going to be like, "So how'd you do?" And if I have to say, like, "Oh, I didn't do shit. I didn't accomplish
1: any of my goals," it kind of sucks. You know what I mean? Um, So, find some accountability. Totally. All right, cool. We will move on to the next one. It comes from Hunter Fleen. Um, It says, "Fascia based training gaining momentum in the S and C world." Your thoughts? Um. So it's uh, fascia.
0: FASCIA. Um, Is it F-A-S-C-I-A? FASCIA. FASCIA-based training um, in the SNC, strength and conditioning world. Yeah, It depends depends on what he's talking about. I'm not like, so like here, I'll I'll be completely transparent. I don't know what you mean by fascia-based training. Um, FASCIA is muscle tissue. I don't know of any training that doesn't require you to actively use muscle tissue. So like... Typically, when people are talking about fascia, we're talking about, like, foam rolling, recovery, ART, stuff like Kinaesthet- that.
1: Kinesthetic exercises, which are designed to make you more cautious of your movement and coordination.
0: Um, yeah, it's that's, like, uh, corrective stuff. Mm-hmm. It goes in waves. There was, a, there was a period of time where it was, like, correctives <laughs> where everything. You had to, like, throw in dead bugs between every set of everything because you got to correct the way your hips are moving stuff. Um, I mean, I don't even barely warm up for training. If at all, you know what I mean? For me, like because I take enough walks throughout the day, and I'm I'm like typically stretch a little bit throughout the day, and it's later in the day when I train. I don't even feel the need to warm up. I just do some warm up sets, and I'm just very consciously aware of where I'm at. And uh, if I was doing heavy, heavy deadlifts and squats stuff like that, I would warm up more. I will say that because I'm doing more bodybuilding training, it's not as necessary. I just think that like mobility, dynamic warm ups, um, corrective exercises, this kind of stuff just gets kind of overplayed in many circles. Like if we're just talking about Changing your physique, body composition, I don't think it's that important. If we're talking about developing as much strength and or conditioning performance as possible, I do think warm-ups become more important. I think mobility tends to become more important um, because you can't get away with compensating or adjusting exercise form as much as you can in the bodybuilding world. Um, Correctives, I still don't see much. I think people overutilize correctives to seem smart or like do something fancy when the reality is if you're not injured trying to rehab something, what are you correcting? nothing yeah there's no you know what i mean there's just no it's kind of just wasting time being proactive is different than correcting 100 percent. and that's where i think people go wrong because you know there's you can get the benefits from stretching by resistance training with a full range of motion you know what i mean so it's like and even mobility people will do mobility but if you don't have strength in those end ranges it's actually not creating any mobility you're just becoming more flexible like you mm. can get into a position with no resistance applied to you that doesn't mean that you're going to be stronger in a position where there is resistance applied to you which would be in the bottom of a squat or an rdl or something like that um so and that's the same thing with like there was uh what's his name mm-hmm. dr joel seedman he's like super big on like just tons of bands and unstable training and all that shit and he's like really big on um uh dynamic isometrics I think he calls it which is an oxymoron because dynamic means movement isometric means holding still <laughs> so it doesn't really I don't get it but he he was uh, him and a few people have had debates online and it's been funny because he's very big on partials and how like partials are better for the pro athletes he works with and like to prevent injury. Cause you don't want to go to these end ranges and it just makes zero sense at all. Because if I train you in a bunch of strength for like a 90 degree, cause that's what he kind of promotes like a partial range. And then you go on a field and you get tackled and your knee is flexing beyond 90 degrees. You have zero strength and capabilities beyond 90 degrees. What's mm. going to happen? What's his reason? No fucking idea. He gets crushed in the debates. It's funny. Wow. Um, you're going to get injured if that's the case you know what I mean like if if I was saying like hey you're more likely to get injured going completely overhead which could be true I mean technically so I'm just going to train you in this range I'm going to stop halfway and then you go on a basketball court and you jump and you reach all the way up and somebody tries to swat you and you have no strength up there and your arm goes back and you fucking pop your shoulder out of socket that could have been avoided if you trained strength in the top range yeah. safely and under control in the gym. You know exactly. what I mean? So um, I think correctives, the point is with that is like correctives and mobility and stuff like that. Why do like weird band things and correctives and partials and all these things when I can just do full range motion strength training with control and stability? You know, I mean? just, I don't know. Um, but I, I think that's the path that this is going down. Yeah. Um, I'm not 100% sure um, what he means by fascia training. We, my main focus of what I'm constantly up to date on in researching and studying is training and nutrition for body composition changes. So if this steps out of my world, I might not be the best person to ask about it. That's my opinion on what I think it is. But the reality is, is the majority of people that we're helping and the people we're targeting to help and things I'm passionate about getting better with is how do I help somebody lose more fat and build more muscle so they look better, feel better and live longer. Like those are my things, right? So I'm less in the world of improving mobility or um strength and conditioning for sport and stuff like that i've worked with athletes but it's just not my passion you know um but and i also think there's a there's a lot of like biomechanic stuff that kind of just gets a little too overboard there's a lot of stuff out there right now that's where i thought he was going with it but when he said strength and conditioning world i don't know if he does but more in the bodybuilding space there's a lot of like the way your fascia tissue is aligned to determines like the way your angles and your uh, the resistance curves and stuff, which has some truth to it, but a lot of it is speculative and theory. Um, and there's been, as of recently, some debates against some of those people by really, really smart strength coaches. And I'm loving it because I've always felt weird about it. And I think it's just, they're overcomplicating strength training and making it like so finite and nitty gritty that it's getting people away from doing hard training with heavy weights and just building muscle. And the funny thing is the people that, are arguing against him that are actually uh, like against this like community of people that are just so ingrained in it. I think a little bit, it's good, right? If you don't know the anatomy of, and in the biomechanics of a human body, you're more likely to injure somebody training them. So you got to know the fundamentals, but there's a lot of people who actually went to school, became researchers in that world. And they're much more likely to simplify things and, you know, kind of give the approach of like, do you feel the muscle working? Yes. Okay. It's good. Overload it. Like let's lift. They are, Hire usually the people that actually do the research. So it's funny that they're the ones simplifying it and not trying to use big words. And they're the ones that have the most testimonials and the best transformations with people. And there's a lot of people that are using these big fancy words that don't have transformations and testimonials, you know? So, because um, yeah. they're not a coach. They, I mean, they're they researchers say, or they say they're coaches oh. and they technically are. I just, I fail to see great results I see people who it's kind of weird like I see and there's not any like one person I can think of I just see a lot of people talking about all these like overly complex ways of training that I think are, are I think it's making training less fun and it's just not keeping things to the basics which is more sexy in some scenarios you know to like make it this like cool crazy complicated use big words anatomy like kind of shit but I just think a lot of times it's overcomplicated. Totally. It can be way more simple. And I think most of the results that people actually have are way more simple. And a lot of times the people that kind of shift and start using those things, in my experience, from what I can tell at least, a lot of them, like, they were already jacked. And so it's like, but is that what you did to get there? You know what I mean? And there's there's even people in, like, the, I would call it the post-CrossFit space. Like, they're no longer doing CrossFit. Um, and they're promoting different types of training methods to be like them, look like them, feel like them. And I'm like, yeah, but unless somebody does your program who is also like a post competitive CrossFitter, how is that going to make them look like that? Cause you didn't do that to look like that. You just do that now. Yeah. You did something else. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like somebody who did bodybuilding for years and now like shifts into, I see this with, uh, people, there's some people who promote intuitive eating and like overly flexible dieting and stuff like that. And it's like, you you were a competitive bodybuilder who followed the meal plan for years and did uh, tons of different things to in order to look the way you look. Now you have so much education and awareness and such a lean physique that you can sustain it very easily. And now you're promoting the thing you do now for people to look like you. That doesn't make sense because yeah. that's not what you did to get there. You know, it's like, I don't know. You should not be promoting what you did. Exactly. Yeah. So
1: I don't know. Not that that has anything to do with fascia, but um, yeah, maybe that answers your question. Probably not. <laughs> All right. We're going to move on to the next question. It comes from Cal McDonald. It says, what are the top books you you recommend for strength and conditioning slash nutrition for coaches? Um, All right, we're going to do top three. Okay, that's better. Uh, top three for strength and
0: conditioning. Um, again, this is where I'm going to just say nutrition's way easier. Like, I think that it's so hard because – So with nutrition, I would say fat loss forever, number one. Uh, Muscle and strength pyramids, number two. Um, And number three, I'm trying to like imagine my shelf right now. Um, I probably would say, I'd probably throw in a book that I haven't read yet, to be honest with you. Um, But I know the person. I know what's in there. Um, Alan Aragon, who we interviewed not too long ago, he came out with a book very recently called Flexible Dieting. And I think that would bridge the gap. Fat Loss Forever is by Lane Norton. It's very, very overly... Uh, simplified version of all the science, but it covers metabolic adaptation, reverse dieting, keto, PCOS, like a lot of just good topics, calories, all those kind of things. Um, muscle and strength pyramids is like the, in my opinion, it's like your glossary or your index as a coach. Which one is that? Uh, by Eric Helms, muscle and strength pyramids. Gotcha. And it kind of just lays out the foundation of of what's the hierarchy of evidence in nutrition, right? And it lays it out in a really easy to understand way, but it's very, very complex still. And then flexible dieting would be like, okay, now that we understand the science and all those things, how do we actually implement that practically speaking? Again, I haven't read the book, but I trust Alan Aragon enough to say that that would be the, in my top three of recommendations. If you read those other ones first, um, training becomes way more difficult because strength conditioning is a huge world. Like if you asked me for conditioning, I would, you know, I definitely would say Joel Jameson's book, but that's like very, very specific to conditioning. So it's not in my top three training books, but We're talking about aerobic conditioning. That's what I would say. If we're talking about strength, that's different than hypertrophy. And both of those can be different than uh, program design. Yeah, You know what I mean? And the problem is is most people don't have – I've actually thought about this a lot. If I was in the business for coaching coaches rather than just like coaching people, I would write a program design book because there's no good book on program design. There's practical programming, which is older than hell, and I don't think it actually – Shows the art of programming, and there's so many ways to program. Everything else is done is based on muscle function, um, intensity, volume, what does the research show, and all that stuff. But when it comes to like literally designing a program for somebody, there's not really any good books that show you how to do that. You have to practice what you preach. You have to get coached by a lot of people, run different programs, um, honestly buy people's programs just to see how they program for and take sure. ideas from it. Um, and just be in the trenches. Like, I think it's it's so... And that's why it's hard to write a program design book because I would write a program design book and another coach that is at the same stature as I am would write it completely differently because it's a very... In, like, it's an art. Yes. You know what I mean? Individual. Yeah. So, um, but in general, like, my top three for training, um, I would put uh, the science and development of muscle hypertrophy is number one. And that's, like, a dry textbook. But it's it's... By Brad Schoenfeld, but it's like if you want to know everything there is about act, how does a muscle grow, why does it grow, all that kind of stuff, what affects it, what negatively impacts it, like that's the book. Um, I would probably throw in the Muscle and Strength Pyramids again. There's there's a training version of that book as well, and that's mm-hmm. going to do, that's going to categorize the aspects of hypertrophy, and strength from a research perspective, volume, intensity, frequency, rest periods, exercise selection, all those kind of things, and categorize it in importance and how those things impact your training, periodization, all those things. So i throw that in there. Um, and then number three would probably be, it's a toss-up between, uh, uh, I really enjoyed Christian Thibodeau's book, Max Muscle Bible, Maximum Muscle Bible, but I also really enjoyed Renaissance Periodization's book. Uh, scientific principles of hypertrophy training the reason i like those is because they're as close as you can get to programming styles they use research they use theories and stuff but it's like here's how we program these kind of things here's how you lay out the the mesocycles microcycles, all those kind of things um but again that's like it's not you know renaissance periodization book is written by mike is that's his way of doing it is it the right way i don't know i don't program like mike but there was a lot of gems in there that i liked I don't program like Christian Thibodeau completely, but there was a lot of good gems in there. And it's just a really interesting book. It's a fun read compared to the other. But um, those would be my top for sure.
1: Totally. So, All right, cool. We will move on to the next one. It comes from Sabra Tyler. It says, what is the best advice for someone battling negative talk and the ideas of doing things, quote, unquote, perfectly when it comes to their nutrition diet? I've never thought of this, but that name, maybe it was the way you said it, made me think of a saber tooth tiger. Saber tiger. Yeah. Saber Tyler. But anyway, I have no idea what you asked me. (laughs) Best advice for someone battling negative self-talk and the idea of doing things completely, quote-unquote, perfectly when it comes to their nutrition diet? Um,
0: This is really hard because it depends on where it's stemming from. Um, So there's there's two things that I tend to think about with this that I think that this can stem from. Number one, it can stem from the obvious, which is like a deep-rooted body image issue of imperfectionism and so on and so forth. I'll tackle that second. But the second thing that is maybe not as common, or maybe, maybe it's just as common, but it's way easier to fix, is information overload. So a lot of times people start tracking macros, they start weighing their food, they start reading into all these different things, and it's just information overload, and they get overwhelmed. And the overwhelm creates a sense of perfectionism. It's like, okay, I need to hit these calories, but I also got to hit the macros. And then I have nutrient timing. I got to take my supplements, but I got to do it at the right times because I'm going to work out at this time. It's like stress involves with this. It means I got to sleep. And there's just all these different aspects. And when we have too many things, I think people end up assuming they have to be so dialed in with all of them. When in reality, I think part of flexible dieting is the fact that none of them are going to be perfect you know so i think the easiest way to uh help somebody that has this information overload or is experiencing this perfectionism attitude with their diet based on having too much information thrown at them um one is lower the expectation that you hold on them as a coach um Therefore, they can ease up on their commitment, right? Like I talked about this in that video, other that It's Like your your commitment has to match your expectation. And there's two scenarios with this. There's the one where somebody's like, "Hey, I want to lose 20 pounds. I want to be bikini ready. I have 12 weeks. Like, um, you know, I'll pay whatever. Like, I got, uh, I'll, I'll meal prep all this stuff." And you're like, "Cool, okay. So we're gonna start by tracking your food." And like, "Oh yeah, no, I don't want to do that." Yeah. You're like, "Well, your goal is pretty fucking high. Your standards are, are held pretty high, but your commitment is low as hell because you're not even willing to track your macros. Like, it'll take you five minutes in an app. Like, really? So." their commitment is too low, their standards are too high, expectation too high. But sometimes if the coach steps in and puts the expectations too high, it's not that the person isn't willing to commit, it's that they don't know how to. So they're, they try to match the level of commitment that the coach sets for expectations and they get overwhelmed because they don't know how to do half the shit that they're committing to, right? So it's like, Hey, let's set the expectation low of like, here's all this information. Eventually it'll all make sense. We'll all, we'll be able to do it all, but we're going to take all this and we're going to just pull out like the one or two things that are easy to grab. And you're going to commit to those two things. Yep. Super easy, not overwhelming. And then once you feel on a scale of one to 10, like an eight out of 10 that you've got these on lock, cool. We'll add one or two more things. And you do that until they have the whole list. And sometimes it only takes a few weeks. Whereas if you would have thrown everything at them at the beginning, they would have shit the bed. Deteriorated. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, Sometimes it's breaking things down a little bit easier so the commitment level isn't so high and their expectation is so high because that's where perfectionism comes from. And it's also like, again, the flexible dieting approaches. it's not just fitting in a Pop-Tart when you can. It's also saying like, hey, you know, your, your protein set at 150 grams, but if you hit 140, totally fine. Yep. If you go over and hit 160, also total, totally fine. We don't even know if that's the actual amount you hit because at the end of the day, like that – four ounce chicken breast you track that said 26 grams protein and two grams fat we have no idea if that's actually what it is we don't know if that one cup of rice is actually 45 grams of carbs right because every fucking grain of rice is accounted for in that cup the same exact way every time and every brand that makes a cup scooper is exactly the same like we can't say that you know what i mean um so that goes with saying just like in general just letting them know like hey Tracking macros and being spot on, dead center, perfect with every measurement, every macro is still just a really good estimated guess. And when they know that, I think it like... Even if you weigh? Yeah, absolutely. Because mm-hmm. you think about it, like, um, so again, like, this is assuming, and this sounds so weird to people, but like, if a four-ounce chicken breast really does have 26 grams of protein and usually about two grams of fat. Usually. <laughs> um, well, sometimes you'll, you'll see that it says <clears throat> 2.5, sometimes it's 1.5, but two. And... But that's assuming that every single fucking chicken yeah. you know had the same environment at the same at their farm they drank the same amount of fluids throughout their life they ate the same diet they had the same amount of muscle, same amount of fat, took the same amount of steps lived the same length of life, same genetics like it's not the case Yeah, you know it's just impossible to assume that every chicken was exactly the same um and it sounds weird to people, but it, that just goes show like, hey, that chicken breast could be 24, could be 23 grams protein, could be 30 grams protein, could be a beefy ass fucking chicken breast. Who knows? It's not going to be spot on accurate every time. Um, and same thing with like with you're weighing your blueberries or your walnuts, scoop of protein, scoop of uh, a tablespoon of peanut butter, whatever it may be. None of it is super accurate. Now, should you try to be as accurate as possible? Absolutely. Because it's just making it closer and closer and closer to being spot on dialed in. But you'll never be perfect. And even if you were, you wouldn't know. Because there's this idea yeah. that like it might not be. Yeah. So um, now, it, it's obvious that the best results happen when we're as close as possible. But when you say it in that way, it's kind of like, oh, cool. So I don't get a bad grade for being a little bit off my protein. It's like, no, you're... You could be spot on for all we know. Like, you're totally fine. And that, like, just takes away some of the pressure of being perfect, right? So educating on all those things is, like, very, very huge. And then if it is, like, a deep-rooted thing, it usually boils down to acceptance. Now, you can recommend books like Loving What Is or The Big Leap is a good one on self-sabotage. And those things help. But – it is too complicated of a, of a qu- answer for me to give or a question for me to dive into on a podcast because I'd have to have a real conversation with somebody in person. And no, I'm not a therapist, but I don't feel like it's out of my scope of practice to have a conversation with somebody. So I'm always willing to do that with clients. But at the end of the day, a lot of times it is self-acceptance. For whatever reason, a lot of us human beings do not feel that we uh, are worthy of XYZ, worthy of achieving weight loss or staying lean or having a good marriage or making enough money, whatever it may be. So usually we self-sabotage ourselves or we just don't even put the full effort in because we think that. So sometimes this idea of acceptance actually leads to um, issues as well because you're never good enough. And some people take it one of two ways. Some people, they're never good enough. So they just say, fuck it. And they don't try. Other people try so hard constantly to be perfect. And it's never enough that they keep going down the rabbit hole of trying to be better and better and better. And it actually just causes more and more stress and quite frankly, depression or anxiety because it's never good enough. Yeah. Even though somebody might look at that and go, Holy shit, you are so dialed in. You're doing so great. You're losing all this weight. Like you're awesome, but they don't see it. Yep. You know? So it's hard to say. Yeah. But it's a good way to go about it. I yeah. like it. I would recommend those books. Loving what is or a big leap. Um, usually that's a good way of uh, helping people see a breakthrough.
1: Totally. All right, we got one more question here for you guys. We got one coming from Alex. It says, what do you think about the concept of, quote, unquote, metabolic weight loss resistance that Vince Pittstick and Alan Cress promote? Do you think it's real or not? In a little bit more vulgar, vulgar language. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what did she actually say? He says, this is this bullshit or is it real shit? <laughs>
0: Uh, so first I want to just point out that I don't know who either of those guys are. So,
1: um,
0: I will say this and we'll probably, I'm going to keep this short. So maybe we'll answer another question, but I, uh, I will, I know anybody who's promoting truly science and evidence based information on weight loss, nutrition, muscle, all that kind of stuff. I can almost guarantee I know who they are. So it might be a red flag that I don't know who they are. I'm just gonna throw that out there. Because the people I don't know are typically people like whenever I get questions and I'm like, oh, let me go look this person up. A lot of times it's like spammy, clickbaity shit. I'm just gonna yeah. be honest, you know. Doesn't mean it is. Um, again, I don't know them, so they could be onto something great and just calling it, you know. And I think there's also this layer of the industry that is, you know, they they can s- recognize that this clickbaity, slimy ad, like that kind of shit sells a lot of people. And they're evidence-based. And they like, how can I utilize that to my advantage in order to reach more people? And I'd be the first to say, like, I'm going to play with, like, titles and SEO and things like that as, uh, what is the word, um, when you're keeping your integrity, as ethically as ethically. I can in order to get the attention of more people. Because that's the day and age we live in with social media. And I want to help people. And if that's what I got to do in order to help people the right way, then I will. Um, but I don't make up things. So I don't know, what, what is it, metabolic resistance, fat loss?
1: uh it says yeah metabolic weight loss resistance i don't know i mean that
0: i'm trying to guess of what that means yeah so most likely in my opinion it probably means they're saying that certain people um have metabolic resistance so they have like insulin resistance they have um resistance to weight loss so on and so forth um There's really not a lot of evidence to support that, in my opinion, if that's what they're talking about. You know, that would, that to me sounds like they're saying starvation mode is a real thing. Starvation mode is not a real thing. Um, Metabolic resistance would probably be the idea that somebody has a really thrifty metabolism. They have overly adapted to the diets that they have done in the past, and now they're in a position where their calories have to be extremely low or else they're not going to lose weight. But, you know, the more and more research comes out on total daily energy expenditure, NEAT, BMR, all these things that compensate and naturally adapt and lower their output as you go into a diet kind of allows us to see what's actually happening. And a lot of those things can be avoided now. So we can say like, if you have metabolic resistance, that would be the idea that your body is resisting weight loss. But really what your body's doing is adapting extremely well to the circumstance of being in a deficit Mm. by moving less, producing less, thyroid, uh, growing less, recovering less, um, again, moving less, your step count goes down, standing less, blinking less, Some that you can't control. But because we can control some of those, we can also go, hey, like we actually just have to try to compensate for the compensation by increasing steps here, trying to sleep more here and manipulating your training here. So is it metabolic resistance or is it just uh, a very high degree of metabolic adaptation? Yeah, that's probably what it is. Absolutely. I don't think that we can sell a program to Break you through faster metabolic adaptation because here's the thing is what you will find with metabolic adaptation is that if I fix the problem of this metabolic adaptation by reverse dieting you properly, and maybe I get your calories up, you're sustaining weight, uh, your, your weight at a higher caloric intake, but you're still not at the leanness you want. A lot of people who sell this kind of stuff would go, okay, now we can go back into a deficit and you'll lose weight because we fixed the issue. Well, no, you still have the same threshold. When you go into a deficit, you're still going to have to dip your calories super low because guess what happens next time you drop your calories? Your body's going to adapt. So unless you understand the compensatory mechanisms that actually happen during adaptation, it's it's going to be the same thing. You know what I mean? It's going to happen again. But now I just got you to pay 12 months of coaching for me to like fix your metabolic resistance, you know? And again, I don't know if that's what they're selling, but I've seen people claim that they can do this, but there's research to show reverse dieting doesn't allow you to diet on more calories later on. So if I reverse diet you successfully, I might be able to bring your maintenance calories up higher. But I'm not going to be able to bring your diet calories higher. Totally. So if I got to bring you to deficit, it's going to be the same shit, different day. So it's like, can we just mentally prepare you for it this time? And if anything is benefiting from getting away from the deficit for a while, it's just psychologically giving you some relief of trying to lose weight over and over and over again and being unsuccessful. Now we can step back into it with a better, more clear mind and a better approach to do it. Yep. Right. But it's not going to fix the issue of
1: adaptation. Your body just adapts. That's what happens the metabolic profile you have. Yeah. I think it's probably metabolic. um, He's from Nutrition Dynamic. It's an online coaching company. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Anyway. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't. Weight loss resistance. So I don't know if it's metabolic weight loss resistance. mm -hmm. I think it's metabolic adaptation problem.
0: Weight loss resistance maybe is just a different way of saying metabolic adaptation. I don't think – th- here's my problem with it. And, again, like I don't know these guys, so I don't want to shit on it because they might just have a clever way of, of terming this. Mm-hmm. And if it is a term that gets people to buy in and then they can actually provide some value and help them, then great. Totally. Because yeah. that's a catchy thing, weight loss totally. resistance. You're like, oh, shit, I have that. And like, yeah. I get it. Um it could also be complete clickbait. Who yeah. knows? It could also have nothing to do with what we're talking about right now. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't want to talk shit because I don't know. Um, it could be really smart, cool dudes. There's a lot of things out there like that. Though. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I just totally keep it real with this. But I think that at the end of the day, like, y- there is no, in my opinion on the research and everything, there's no true weight loss resistance Weight loss resistance, whether we're talking about from chronic dieting or stress or metabolic adaptation or anything like that, it's not necessarily resistance. It's over adaptation and your body probably needs a break. But there's, there's nobody who literally cannot lose body fat. There's nobody. Like there's, n- there's not a single person. Even like you can have hormonal issues, you can have genetic issues. Like there's nobody who cannot physically lose body fat. Maybe from an adherence perspective, like what it – Will take for you to be able to do it you might not be able to adhere to yeah i probably wouldn't be able to adhere to like there is the rare case where there's shit is just so hard for some people because of their situation physiologically speaking that it makes it extremely extremely difficult but it's not impossible and that's the only reason i, I want to make that clear is because like the whole starvation mode like that was like this big thing for a long time it's been debunked time and time again you don't get to a place where your body's like i'm not eating enough calories i can't lose weight ever like i'm in starvation mode no if you're in starvation mode, you would be stick bones thin, like period. We have third world countries where people are starving. They have nothing left on their body from eating nothing. They are starving. That is starvation mode. And the next step after starvation mode is death. Yeah. It's not like
1: starvation mode and then something.
0: Yeah. Like, oh, I'm, I'm in starvation mode. I can't lose any more fat. Like I'm overweight. And I'm in starvation mode. No, that's just think about it logically. It doesn't make sense. You know, um, Metabolic adaptation is a real thing. People do adapt to these things. Totally. There's ways to fix it, but um, I don't like the term resistance, just for that reason. But again, they could be talking about something
1: else. Totally. So, cool. All right, that is the last question for today. Um, any announcements? Uh, not outside of all the free shit we want to give you
0: guys. So, a um, couple quick things. Head over to tailoredcoachingmethod.com/guides. We have a bunch of free eBooks that you guys can learn a ton from us on with. Uh, Nothing in exchange. We just literally want to give you free information. And there's a ton more content on the website. You can also apply for online coaching with us at tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash online-coaching. And, of course, big shout-out to our sponsors, firstform.com slash tailoredcoachingmethod. And you can head over to giantlifting.com and use the coupon code TCM5 to save some money. We just did a $1,000 giveaway. I was really pumped about that. Somebody's going to be able to build out their whole fucking home gym. Um, Benny, Benny. yes sir um i'm a little biased to that name because my brother but um no like uh i announced that on my story and just keep on the lookout guys put your notifications on for my profile because we're going to do this again like literally every quarter we're going to be doing a thousand dollar giveaway which is crazy but um giant's hooking it up so uh we love you guys we appreciate you guys uh thank you for listening and we will catch you